Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. California's recall election went into full swing yesterday with a campaign launch featuring a live bear and embattled Governor Gavin Newsom defending his record managing the state through a tumultuous year. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Republican John Cox launched his campaign in Sacramento alongside a 7-foot, 1,000-pound Kodiak bear named Tag. The bear ambled behind the GOP challenger, eating cookies tossed by his handler, while Cox bemoaned the current state of California. California can be a beautiful state once again, but that means we need to recall our pretty boy governor, Gavin Newsom. The Southern California businessman lost to Newsom in 2018 by nearly 24 points. He criticized the Democratic governor's management of the state and blamed him for record-breaking wildfires, power blackouts, and drawn-out business closures over the past year. That's real-world impacts from a lack of leadership, frankly. And I think the, the people of this state need to have that hit home. And if the bear helps bring the message home, I'm, I'm happy to have it. Newsom held his own campaign event soon after. His first in-person appearance focused on the recall. Now is not the time to waste hundreds of millions of dollars on a recall effort that is nothing more than a partisan power grab. The governor did not comment directly on specific candidates or their attacks. Transgender TV star and Olympic gold medalist Caitlyn Jenner also dropped her first campaign video. The government is now involved in every part of our lives. They've taken our money, our jobs, and our freedom. Jenner calls herself a compassionate disruptor and criticized Newsom as out of touch. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. Turning to the pandemic, San Francisco and L.A. County have both moved into the least restrictive yellow tier when it comes to reopening. Restrictions will be loosened for many businesses, which will allow them to open at a greater capacity. San Francisco Mayor London Breed called it an incredible milestone and says the city's vaccination rate has played a key role in slowing the spread of the virus. We have about 72 percent of San Franciscans that have received at least their first dose of the vaccine. And we're hoping by the middle of this month we'll get to 80. L.A. County Board of Supervisors Chair Hilda Solis said that while this is a big achievement for the county, she warned the pandemic isn't over. It's exciting, but also a word of caution if we still only have 60 percent of our population that is vaccinated, we still have a lot more work to do. Trinity County in the North State has also moved into the yellow tier, but COVID-19 numbers in Marin County ticked up slightly, meaning that county will stay in the orange tier for now. 
Public health experts are keeping a close eye on data that shows the pace of COVID-19 vaccinations slowing down. The Washington Post reports half of all eligible adults have yet to receive a first shot. And yet a growing group of vaccine skeptics appear to be changing their minds and getting the shot. Dr. Brian Castrucci is the president and chief executive officer of the De Beaumont Foundation. He joins us now. Good morning. Thanks, Lily. It is great to be here. You have been conducting focus groups on this issue. And from what you can tell, why are some of these one-time skeptics coming around to the idea of getting the COVID-19 vaccine? Well, I think they're starting to, to see other people taking it. And I think that's what was really important to so many. You know, their decision to get vaccinated came after just their perceived risk of getting COVID-19 outweighed their concerns about the safety of the vaccines. And they were motivated by things that they want to be able to do, like travel or go to sporting events and safely seeing friends and family. Uh, The most influential source of information about COVID-19 vaccines was a doctor, a pharmacist, or other medical professional who they knew and trusted. Uh, And I think they just became more comfortable after seeing the people that they know get vaccinated without any major complications. And of course, health officials at the federal, state and local level are pretty uniformly working to try to convince people about the safety of the vaccine and about why it's so important to get it. What can they be saying and doing to help convince those who are still skeptical? Safety and speed are concerns that that a lot of folks have. And we have to keep telling people that no corners were cut, bureaucracy and red tape were cut to expedite the safe development of these vaccines, and that the technology behind the vaccines was built on decades of trusted medical research. So while it it seems that these have come to market very quickly, safety wasn't compromised. We need to make sure that uh, people are always feeling that they have the freedom to make an informed personal decision, And lastly, but probably most important, we need to be non-judgmental. We don't need debate. We need dialogue and discussion. And many conservatives are tired of being shamed and blamed and just want to have candid, open conversations about the vaccines that are non-judgmental. They want to hear the science and the facts, and then they just want to make their own informed decision. Yeah, you can't really have a dialogue with someone if they feel that you are judging them. Um, I think the reality is that we are not going to convince everyone to get vaccinated. But based on the trends that you are seeing, are you confident that we can at least change the minds of some of the people who are squarely on the fence right now? Between March and April, we saw a 20% increase in likelihood of vaccination among Republicans. And so that gives me hope. But I think the reality lies somewhere in the middle. I think people are still making a decision about whether they want to get the vaccine. And we need to keep consistent, truthful messaging about the vaccine and what it means to get vaccinated. But I think if you look at you know, India, we should take that as a warning. I and mean, we should not be so arrogant to believe that that could not happen here in the U.S. And that right now there's a race between getting vaccinated or finding more variants. All right. Well, Dr. Brian Castrucci, thank you for joining us and sharing some of your insights. Dr. Castrucci is the president and chief executive officer of the De Beaumont Foundation. Thank you. Thanks, Lily. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today. 
on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts. The L.A. County Board of Supervisors has voted to launch another investigation into complaints that sheriff's deputies harass relatives of victims of law enforcement violence. KPCC's Robert Garova has more. The vote comes at the same time as a report from the National Lawyers Guild that details what it calls aggressive and continuous harassment by deputies. The report includes allegations from the family of 21-year-old Anthony Vargas, who was shot and killed by deputies in 2018. His relatives said deputies have followed them in patrol cars and shown up outside their homes and taunted them. Stephanie Luna is Vargas' aunt. I'm not sure what else we can do other than continue talking, continue speaking up on what we're going through because we're not going away. The sheriff's department had no comment, saying it hadn't reviewed the report. Inspector General Max Huntsman issued a report last fall calling on Sheriff Alex Villanueva to adopt a policy to prevent harassment of victims' families. Villanueva said that report didn't provide evidence of any harassment. Now the supervisors want Huntsman to look at the issue again and to come up with a robust plan to prevent harassment in the future. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti's name has once again surfaced as a possible nominee for a position with the Biden administration. Axios reports Garcetti is one of several candidates under consideration for the position of U.S. ambassador to India. The mayor's office issued a statement saying the report was, quote, speculative and that the mayor is focused on ending the COVID-19 pandemic. Late last year, Mayor Garcetti revealed that he had turned down an unspecified position with the administration during the presidential race he served as co-chair of Biden's campaign committee. A law passed in 2018 that requires California companies to have women on their boards of directors is having an effect. KQED's Nina Thorson reports. SB 826 mandated companies with headquarters in California to have at least one woman on their board, or more, depending on the company's size, by the end of this year. A new report says the number of women on corporate boards has doubled in the three years since the bill's passage. Only 14 companies are not yet in compliance with the requirement. But there's still a long way to go in increasing representation by women of color, especially Latinas, who make up 19% of the state's population but just 1% of corporate board members. The report, issued by the California Partners Project, co-founded by Jennifer Siebel Newsom, suggests reasons why companies haven't put more women of color on their boards. They include over-reliance on personal connections of existing board members and management, using criteria such as job titles or service on other boards, and a fear of taking risks. The report recommends companies cast a wider net for board members and recognize that diversity is an asset. For The California Report, I'm Nina Thorson. We're going to go to the Central Valley now. Smaller family-owned businesses have been hit particularly hard by the pandemic. 
leaving some to close their doors and others to pivot to new ventures. Valley Public Radio's Sarith Hawk has this story of an immigrant family from Vietnam whose generosity and foresight helped them get through the last year. At so-and-so alterations in North Fresno, the steady thrum of mechanized needles is a good sign. It means business is finally starting to pick back up again. Owner Patrick Tran points out several machines that are used to make alterations. And those three are overlock machines where after you cut it, you overlock so it doesn't fray. Tran says he learned the trade from his parents who met in Vietnam. My mom and dad, they meet each other um, through learning how to sew, same class. Sewing helped his parents survive. It was a lifeline when they fled their homeland after the Vietnam War. When we escaped Vietnam, well, we went to Thailand, that's when they start using their skill, you know. So um, we, we have been sewing ever since. Once the family settled as refugees in Fresno, they started sewing in their home, making hand-tailored garments for the local Asian community. They had so many customers that they were able to open their first business 37 years ago. During high school, uh, I would come and help uh, my, my parents. Tran walks to the back of the small, narrow shop past his wife, Mai, who is stitching together a white dress shirt. He and Mai have run this store for 20 years. Three other family members work here, relatives that Tran sponsored from Vietnam. But this past year during the pandemic, the shop wasn't this noisy. No party, no wedding, no school. So most of our alteration is based on uh, those events. Tran says he was forced to shut down for a short time. After one week, uh, we start have nothing to do. So we see a, a lot of uh, people on the news that elderly that doesn't have any masks. So we start making masks and uh, giving out to senior citizens. Some of those senior citizens receiving free masks were at a nursing home where one of the relatives of a resident happened to work for the city of Fresno. They heard about the masks and tracked down Tran's shop. After approving the design of the masks, Tran was awarded a contract to make them for city crews. So that keep us uh, by for several months. And then they placed the second order, so that helped us, you know, complete the whole year. And the store is still making them. On this day, Tran's relatives sit at their sewing machines, stitching together face masks. The mask kind of help us kind of balance our business. Actually, help us a lot. <laughs> as much as 60% of his business last year was due to this product alone. This addition to his business has attracted new customers. People start noticing uh, uh, how our mask fit and feel. Uh, so they, they keep coming in. <laughs> the year has been tough, Tran says, but with new and old customers, the family is piecing together a steady recovery. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, May 5th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adapting care. Personal Capital, 
helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.